Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Zatarans, maker of New Orleans pantry staples like Creole mustard, fish fry, and jambalaya mix since 1889. Recipes and more at zatarans.com. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. Over the last few years, the dining category of breakfast and brunch have simply exploded across the nation. Here in New Orleans, the city where in the mid-1800s Madame Begay literally invented the meal we know today as brunch, the Ruby Slipper Cafe has prospered and multiplied in a way that Jennifer Weisept and her husband Eric could never have anticipated when they opened their first mid-city location in 2008. Jennifer's here with the latest news of what's become one of New Orleans' greatest exports. Then, we'll explore the experience of Gospel Brunch with Brizella Briscoe of the Zion Harmonizers, who've been uplifting and inspiring since 1939. Finally, we're pulling out all the stops for the country's latest sensation, Drag Queen Brunch. We'll introduce you to some of the rollicking queens that make Poppy's pop-up drag brunches one of the hottest tickets in town. Grab your bottomless mimosa and get ready for an unforgettable Louisiana Eats. My name is Jennifer Weisopt. I'm the founder and CEO of the Ruby Slipper Restaurant Group. Former engineers Jennifer Weisopt and her husband Eric became first-time restaurateurs in 2008 when they opened Ruby Slipper Cafe in their New Orleans neighborhood of Mid-City. Finding immediate success, Jennifer and Eric soon expanded their company by establishing Ruby Slipper restaurants across town. When we last spoke with Jennifer back in 2016, she was in the process of opening a new restaurant in Orange Beach, Alabama, her sixth. Today, she's celebrating the opening of her newest in Knoxville, Tennessee. That's the 13th. What a difference three years makes. With an emphasis on breakfast and brunch, her fast-growing empire has spread across four states, with restaurants going by the name Ruby Slipper or Ruby Sunshine. I asked Jennifer how she decided where to take her popular export and where she's going next. So we opened in Mobile um, about a year ago. We just celebrated our one-year anniversary at that location. And um, we're in the downtown area, which is... Uh, really close to New Orleans. It's actually a really fun, small city. You know, we had just had the opportunity to go and look at some property in Mobile, and we really fell in love with some of the opportunities there and didn't really see a big landscape of breakfast brunch, kind of what we do all day breakfast brunch. And so we kind of took a leap of faith and 
found a building that uh, was under renovation, a historic building that really matched, reminded us actually a lot of our CBD location at 200 Magazine here in New Orleans, where it, you know, it has that corner entrance and uh, is a historic bank building. So we just felt like it was us. And we hired a really amazing team there who have just done a phenomenal job with um, bringing our you know, kind of the heart of our business, which is really all about New Orleans, food, culture, you know, the love of all things that we have and translating that to a different market. And then our next Alabama location will be in Birmingham. All right. So the big expansion into Tennessee. Before long, you will be in Franklin, Knoxville, and Nashville? Yes. Yeah. So we opened uh, Franklin, Tennessee is a small suburb city uh, on the south side of Nashville. It's about 20 minutes outside the city. And it's a real historic little town. And we're right on the town square, again, in a historic renovation. It's also a bank building. We have an affinity for bank buildings. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so we're in this really cool space. And we opened that under our sister brand, Ruby Sunshine. So we launched a new brand last fall um, with the intention of opening um, the Tennessee market. And so we have Ruby Slipper here in New Orleans on the Gulf Coast, and we have Ruby Sunshine in what we call our expansion market. So in Tennessee right now in Franklin and in Knoxville and soon to be in uh, Nashville proper. Is the menu remaining exactly the same? Or as you move into new states, new areas, are you having to tweak and change things a little? Well, it's interesting because we we went down this path when we first opened in Pensacola, which was our first location outside of New Orleans. And we thought going into that, that there was some menu adjustments we were going to have to make to be successful in that market. After all, you know, not everybody wants to have brunch all day. They're business people. They're used to eating lunch or, you know, people don't drink mimosas at seven in the morning in other places. <laughs> well, what we found was that, in fact, people will eat brunch all day and that was what they wanted. Um, so we had shifted in that case. We had shifted the menu a little more to the lunch focus And we had even added, as an example, we had added a grouper sandwich because we felt like that's kind of the iconic thing that everybody has. And what we learned was nobody really wanted that. You know, they would go somewhere else for that. They wanted to come to Ruby Slipper to experience the food that they had had in New Orleans or what they had heard about, you know, these Benedicts and French toasts and pancakes and those sort of things. So we actually kind of went back to the menu that we had here in the New Orleans market. And so now, boosted by our confidence in that experiment, as we've gone into other markets, we haven't made those adjustments. Instead, where we focused that, you know, kind of the creativity and the culinary influence of those new markets is in how we consider and build our seasonal specials. So, for example, when we launched in the spring in Franklin, we did a development project with our culinary team and we launched three Tennessee-inspired specials. But, of course, we always want to put our own twist on them. So we did, like, a hot catfish Benedict. So, of course, everybody knows about Nashville hot chicken and loves Nashville hot chicken. We didn't want to do quite that. We thought hot catfish is a little more of that Louisiana influence or the Southern Gulf influence. And um, it was a huge hit. And we, I bet. You know, I think you could start a new trend <laughs> over there. So we did that. And we did my other favorite was um, we did a banana pudding stuffed French toast. In Tennessee, banana pudding is the dessert you always see on the menu like bread pudding is here in Louisiana. 
And I have to say it was one of my favorite stuffed French toasts that we've done in the history of our 11-year history. So it sounds delicious. It was delicious. Now, of course, the thing that every brunch place must have is coffee. You do have a proprietary ruby slipper blend. Yes. And it is constant throughout all of the stores? Absolutely. So we have a breakfast blend, which is what we you know brew in the restaurants if you order hot coffee. It's about 50% Colombian and then about a quarter Ecuadorian and a quarter Peruvian. My husband, Eric, and I just got back from a trip to Colombia last week where we went with our coffee roasters and their exporter and importer to meet the farmers who actually grow the beans that become our Ruby Slipper breakfast blend. And our coffee roaster is local here in New Orleans. It's French Truck Coffee, and we've been partnered with them since they really were just operating a roaster, a small micro roaster in his garage and the first yellow French truck actual truck. Um, And now, of course, they have grown a brick-and-mortar coffee business. They're in Tennessee, too. Yes, they are. They're in Memphis. And one of the things we really love about French Truck is that they roast to order so that you really have the highest level of all those coffee oils and essences at the time that we grind it and brew it for you. And if our team's doing it right, you should definitely want a second cup. Are there any other iconic brands or perhaps ingredients that are so specially sourced that they're constant at all the restaurants? Yes, we're very specific about our sourcing, and we do quite a lot of development work. Maybe this is back to our engineering roots where, you know, when you find the right raw product, you stay with it. Of course, we use Leidenheimer French bread, and we use that in all our markets. We have a uh, a Tasso product out of the Lafayette area that, you know, we've tried a few other brands, but they just don't give us the same Tasso cream. And so we're, you know, we're kind of married to that product. We did a development, and we do a um, Steen's cane syrup butter where we take Steen's, we reduce it down to molasses, we compound it with butter, add a little salt, and uh, we serve that with every biscuit that people order, whatever the dish is. It's so and delicious. It's so deli- we call it crack butter. It it's is. really delicious. And it's interesting because so few people outside of Louisiana know anything about cane syrup. And so it gives our team the opportunity to talk about, like, what is cane syrup and where does it come from? And why do people in Louisiana care about it? Well, because sugar is a huge crop in Louisiana. Well, you and your team really are significant culinary ambassadors. Obviously, engineers are very well suited to the restaurant business, (laughs) if you all are any examples. Thank you. Your your husband's pet peeve. Our wobbly tables. Are are all the tables at all the locations still bolted down? They're not all bolted down, but they they have now made table bases with these self-leveling feet, so he won't buy anything besides that. And if there's a couple locations that have been around a long time, um, and so they have the, you know, kind of regular old school bases. And those managers know that they better have um, shovets, not uh, shovets are like a little wedge that you can buy, a little plastic wedge that levels out your tables, not sugar packets. <laughs> Definitely not sugar packets. What's the future like? I mean, I don't, I don't know how you could have ever <laughs> dreamed what the present might be. So how do you look at the future? 
So um, we have our future mapped out for this year. We have two more restaurants to open, uh, one in Birmingham that I mentioned, and also in uh, Hillsborough Village, which is a neighborhood, a really cool neighborhood in Nashville that's really close to Vanderbilt University. And then my husband handles site selection, so he's the real estate guy. He goes out and looks for cool places that he's the one who has the vision of, you know, what can this dilapidated building become? Um, and then he does design and construction, and then he hands it over to me and my team, and we kind of take everything from there. So he's actively out uh, getting his 2020 locations lined up. We're not ready to announce any of them, but um, altogether we're opening five locations this year. So going from 10 restaurants to 15 restaurants, so about a 50% growth in one year. So that's uh, quite a leap. That's ambitious. Yeah. And then um, we'll open probably five next year. So um, I'm not trying to think too much further ahead than that right now. <laughs> well, congratulations. I'm so proud to have had this whole phenomena come out of New Orleans. So thanks for the incredible work that you've been doing. And thanks for coming to see us again. Thank you. We love the opportunity to be here. I appreciate it, Poppy. Jennifer Wysup, founder and CEO of the Ruby Slipper Restaurant Group. Coming up next, we visit Tujac's and Toop South for an authentic taste of a rollicking drag brunch. But first, how did brunch originate in the first place? And how does it tie into the history of drag? Stay tuned, and we'll answer that question when we come right back. Poppy Tucker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Camellia Brand, Beans Done Right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923, and from Ralph's on the Park, overlooking City Park's ancient oaks, serving locally sourced Gulf seafood, meats, and farm fresh produce all presented with a global spin by Chef Chip Flanagan. Lunch, dinner, Saturday and Sunday brunch, and private parties at 900 City Park Avenue in Mid-City. week's culinary quiz question brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. Where did brunch originate in the first place and how does it tie into the history of drag? Both stories follow a path to the mainstream shaped by class and gender, each with their own illicit beginnings. While there are many different theories on where brunch originated, Historians see an inextricable link between breakfast and the drinking culture. Brunch popularized daytime drinking 
and the practice of mixing alcohol with juices, spawning such cocktails as the Bloody Mary and the Mimosa. This new wave of approachable, often citrusy cocktails helped remove the stigma of day drinking for women and the middle class. By the 1970s and 80s, brunch moved from the world of elite restaurants and hotels to find a home in more casual eateries, becoming what it looks like today. While there's no absolute definition of drag, the art of exaggerated cross-dressing for performance has its origins in vaudeville. It was through vaudeville that the first world-famous female impersonator came to exist, a man named Julian L. Tinge. Incidentally, El Tinge was a frequent diner at Tujac's restaurant, where Madame Begay invented what was essentially the city's first brunch in pre-Civil War New Orleans. She called it the butcher's breakfast in a nod to the butcher's stalls of the French market, located across the street from her famous eatery. During the era of Prohibition, drag performances flourished in underground clubs and speakeasies. As homosexuality became more criminalized in America, drag became increasingly relegated to gay bars and underground spaces. In the 1950s and 60s, it found conventional acceptance in nightclubs like Club My Oh My in New Orleans, where a mostly heterosexual audience would come for dinner and a show. To avoid being arrested for female impersonation, which was illegal at the time, drag performers would add a mister in front of their names. And while Mardi Gras crews held pageant-style drag events at their carnival balls in the 1960s, they often had to remain hidden to avoid being busted by the police. By the 1970s, public opinion began to change. A restaurant named Lucky Chang's opened across from Antoine's in the mid-90s, complete with sassy drag waitresses and drag performances. Today, both drag and brunch have entered into the mainstream, becoming a part of everyday life. I can't think of a better pairing of traditions. I'm Poppy Tooker, and drag brunch makes for some real Louisiana eats. I started a series of pop-up drag brunches benefiting Crescent Care, a New Orleans health clinic that originated as the No-AIDS Task Force in the 1980s. As I've hosted these fundraisers over the years, I've gotten to know some extraordinary drag queens, many whom I've had the great pleasure of profiling in my new book, Drag Queen Brunch. At a recent Sunday morning pop-up at Tujac's restaurant, I spoke with four drag beauties as they prepared for that morning's show. I asked them all to tell us a bit about themselves and their fabulous profession. Good morning. Here we are at Two Jacks at one of Poppy's pop-up drag brunches. Now, Debbie with a D, you're the mistress of ceremonies this morning. Tell me what it takes to put together a drag brunch. 
Well, first of all, I'm not the mistress. You're the mistress of the drag brunches. I just get to impart the drag upon the audience once they get here. Um, so it takes about, oh gosh, four or five hours to get ready in the morning to make sure all the sound equipment is up and running, to make sure the makeup is on and set. You have to shave and shower, deodorant, all that stuff um, so that you can put on a good show for everyone that comes out. Drag brunches on average start at about 11 a.m. What time did this beauty get started this morning? This morning started at 5 a.m. Mm, yeah. After a full night last night, too. Yeah. But that's the gig. That's the job. You're a drag queen. You're up late. You're out late. You're up early. And also then this afternoon, I'm going to pass right out at 2 o'clock. Done. Out. In bed. <laughs> now, Princess Stephanie, you are the grand dame of drag in New Orleans. How long have you been at this? As you can see in the new Drag Queen Brunch cookbook, I was on the Titanic on the staircase when they took that photo. It was so lovely. Misty, um, please introduce yourself and explain why you have chosen the name you have. My name is Misty Bonet, and the name basically comes from Pokemon. Pokemon. And, you know, there is something sort of anime about you. Well, thank you. That's the aesthetic that I try to go for. Le oh, Laveau, are you busy? Or could you? Oh, you're so beautiful. My name is Laveau Contrier, and um, I chose Laveau because I wanted a strong, magical name. And I had a dream, and I heard someone refer to me as Laveau in the dream. And I was like, I woke up and I was like, well, that's it. Then Contrier, because au contraire, and it gives you sort of the play on words. Now, why do you do drag in the first place? Um, it's my favorite form of creative expression. I feel like I can use all of my skills and talents in the creating of the costume, to the styling of the hair, to makeup, and then like performance, which is my favorite part, which is basically sharing my story and joy with the audience. All of you here do drag and drag brunches. What is the difference in the crowd, in the experience? What makes you do the drag brunch? Drag brunch is usually people that know what they're coming to and know what they're expecting. And a regular night show, it's like, I'm going to stop by. I'm going to see what's happening, but I'm not going to stay for the whole thing. So drag brunch is more connecting like let me talk to you afterwards get to know you like i like i like this so. debbie you do both drag brunch and regular drag shows what's the difference and what do you love about drag shows so I think the, the difference is, like Misty said, people coming to a drag brunch kind of know that they're coming and they're going to bring dollars if it's for charity, especially like like yours are. You kind of expect that relationship with the audience at the bar. It's kind of like for our LGBT family. It's like a, a ball or you can show up in your outfit, show your new look off, do your new number and kind of hang out. Drag brunch is a little bit different because, like they said, people know what they're getting into and it's very exciting, but it's always more upbeat and up-tempo than maybe a midnight drag show. Um, and food, everyone loves food. <laughs> like, it makes people happy, so everyone's in a good mood. Um, you get a breakfast and a show, and it's just a fun, fun environment. 
It is very difficult sometimes to walk by the tables and not take the lovely food off their plates and put it in your own mouth. But I concentrate on it being for charity, so I take their money and I give it to the needy. Where in the world do you ladies shop? Uh Amazon.com. <laughs> no, um, there are plenty of shops in New Orleans where you can get like some discount drag. Um, hit me up if you need some tips. But um, anywhere where they sell size 14 shoes. <laughs> uh, Amazon, Wish, um, and then just local shops around the corner that do costuming because, you know, we do costuming here in New Orleans. Now, you, my darling Princess Stephanie, you must have quite a wardrobe. About 2,000 square feet. <laughs> and I recently removed 120 shoes and gave them a pair of shoes and gave those to Bridge House so that they could sell. And I still have another 400 that need to be removed to someplace else. And being I'm a little plus size on the other side of a 14, I go where all the plus sizes are sold. And when I find beautiful things, I tell every one of my plus size beauties. And the jewelry. Now, Princess Stephanie, you are known for wearing the real thing. Well, if you're going to be real, you might as well have something that's nice and real. And I tell all of the girls, you should always have a precious pair of earrings and a necklace that does cost more than a week of your pay or drag pay. Because when you go to events, people like to see that you have something of worth own because you're spending your money on luxury instead of a car payment or to have your garbage picked up. <laughs> now, I know that people would love to know about the dichotomy of drag life and real life that sometimes intersects. For instance, um, when you're not Debbie with a D, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> Out of drag, my name is Joey. Um, I actually work at Crescent Care, which is a locally um, funded uh, federally qualified health center uh, that does uh, a lot of health care for the LGBTQ community here in New Orleans, but also for everyone. Um, we do a lot of like HIV screenings, uh, hepatitis C, syphilis, all that kind of stuff, and I manage those programs. Princess Stephanie, tell me about your life when you're not performing in drag, we can find you in drag anyway. That's correct, Poppy. I bartend uh, over 40 to 60 hours a week, and according to Stoli Vodka, I am one of the six uh, full-time professional bartending drag queens in America, which sounds kind of bizarre, but most of the other girls bartend on a Saturday or for Halloween or for Mardi Gras if they have Mardi Gras in the rest of the world so I find that entertaining and fun and pretty much people want to come and be served by Princess Stephanie because she's funny and witty and will give you some advice about your life if possible. Misty when you're not in drag what are you up to? I work at Justine's on Charters so we can drop by and have a little visit with you there. Yeah, I'll bring you your food. <laughs> I don't say much, but you'll get a glimpse. Laveau, do you have another life outside of drag? Um, drag is my main life these days, but I also teach with a nonprofit in New Orleans called Kidsmart. 
It's uh, where teaching artists go into the classroom and collaborate with the teachers to do arts integrated lessons. So I get to be a music teacher by day and a drag queen by night. It's really fun. <laughs> and you also are one of the great New Orleans Public Library drag queen storytellers, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I actually did one yesterday, um, and it's just so much fun because the parents are super supportive and the kids absolutely love it. Because drag is kind of like the highest expression of like playing dress up, kids respond super well to it. They get really invested in the story that you're telling, and you can just see it on their faces that they think you're superheroes. Um, but that's another thing that makes Drag Brunch so much fun is that kids are invited because it's during the daytime and it's not in a dark bar. Um, so um, we usually get a crowd that's more family friendly and um, cater our drag to support that in a way. You were a teacher before you were a drag artist, huh? Yes, and I think it kind of helps because um, you kind of know how to command a crowd. If you can handle a room full of five-year-olds, you can probably handle a, a room full of adults that are slightly intoxicated. So it, it kind of translates. And if I ever need to get a crowd's attention, I have a ton of attention grabbers. <laughs> that was Debbie with a D. Princess Stephanie, Misty Bonet, and Laveau Contraire. The following Sunday morning, we held another pop-up drag brunch at Toop South, right here in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. Diners enjoyed brunch, bottomless mimosas, and drag performances, all in the name of charity. The brunch also gave me the chance to speak with a young drag queen from New Orleans about her drag persona and to hear the story of her unofficial drag debut. Hello, this is Coochie Leachy, a local New Orleans drag entertainer. Coochie, I just love you, and I am so glad that you are in the Drag Queen Brunch book. Tell me about the different vibe. Tell me about the different experience when you're a drag entertainer. Whew. It's very, very hard on the body, I'm not going to lie. But, I mean, you know, when you're working 18 hours in heels then you know it just kind of happens but the thrill of being able to just strut out there do your stuff feel pretty look pretty and you know be able to entertain and, and you know enjoy the company of others is kind of you know what keeps me going now what about drag brunches because doing a drag brunch well that's hard work because first of all they start before noon. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely struggling to get out of bed. It was so comfy today. But again, it's just kind of worth it. Like once I'm up and about and ready to go, that energy just kind of like keeps me going. And, you know, the food is also a plus. <laughs> what inspires your drag? Tell us a little bit about your look and why. So I listen to a lot of K-pop, um, Korean pop music. Their culture and their music industry is a lot different than, you know, say, the American industry. Um, it's a little more manufactured, but it is very, very closely tight-knit. They, like, are very interested in their aesthetic. They do a lot of choreography. Their music is on point. And the more I do drag, the more I kind of realize that, like, Coochie is kind of her own K-pop idol and so that's the kind of that's the kind of vibe that I like to serve and show people kind of introduce them to like more K-pop into their you know typical drag brunches or just their typical entertainment life it, it is a different sound a different look I just love what you do now I would love it if you would tell us 
how you began doing drag because that is such a special New Orleans story. <laughs> so, um, like I said, I am a New Orleans local. I went to Isidore Newman for middle and high school. And senior year, it was in 2009, um, October 2009, for Halloween, I had just started getting into Lady Gaga. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. <laughs> um, this was um, during the fame era. She had this beautiful white dress with like crystals all over it. And I, I saw that dress and I was like, you know what? It's my last year. I might as well go out with a bang and I really want to try wearing this dress. And so, um, you know, I had my my mom and my grandma help me make it. I made the crystals out of like paper origami and it was a riot. It was a hoot walking into the school and seeing everybody be like, who is this? Oh, my gosh. And so that was my first unofficial um, first debut in drag. But my drag mom, Lavo Contra, who's also with us today, she gave me my first show a year ago in March. I co-hosted a drag race viewing party with her and been downhill ever since <laughs> or uphill darling it's just been fabulous I love it when you are part of the ensemble and one of the interesting things about you is that after your debut uh, in your senior year at Newman you went on to Loyola and you actually have a very serious music education yeah Loyola is great for music um, that, I mean obviously that's why I went there I study vocal performance with a music industry minor, so I have a classical training background. I sing with the New Orleans Opera Chorus still. And with the music industry, like I said, I listen to a lot of pop music, and that's kind of more what I want to do overall. So I love um, you know, listening to pop and like recreating and writing my own pop music. I just released my first album, um, my first full-length album last month. Super exciting, and yeah, so it's just very busy, a lot of entertaining, a lot of dancing, a lot of singing, a lot of performing in general. Well, Coochie, in your musical entertaining life, you are sort of binary there, too. Would you explain that? Yes. So I am um, male-bodied. I am, um, you know, assigned male at birth. I kind of identify as genderqueer normally, but, I mean, if you're going to call me a guy, I'm not going to be too mad about it. If you're going to call me a girl, feel free to. Um, but with my music, so my stage name for my music um, stuff is Sora. And I don't know, it's just, I think just because like that's more, that's definitely kind of what I grew up with, even starting from as a kid, like just being in this particular experience and lifestyle. Whereas like Coochie is a lot more fresh. She's only a year old. <laughs> and so um, with my music, it's kind of, I kind of play around with the, the binary and like blend it, but like it definitely is a lot more masculine, whereas Coochie is definitely a lot more feminine. And what's the name of your new CD? My new CD is called Paramount. You can find it on Spotify, on iTunes. Um, I just released a music video called Only for Tonight, which is on YouTube as well. Oh, I can't wait to see. Thank you so much, Coochie. It's always a pleasure having you part of the Drag Brunch Ensemble. The pleasure is eternally mine. I love you so much, Poppy. I'm gonna have some fun, even if I'm the only one. Just dancing on my own till the night is through. Had a bit too much wine. That was Coochie Leechy. Drag queen extraordinaire. And when the morning comes, we'll go home. A little bit hungover and alone. Coming up next, we head to Shreveport to get a taste of a raucous Sunday brunch at Maryland's place. Louisiana Eats returns after a break.
Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. If today's show has whetted your appetite for a drag brunch experience, our next Poppy's Pop-Up Drag Brunch, benefiting Crescent Cares Food for Friends program, will be at the Parlor at the Pontchartrain Hotel on Sunday, September 8th, with food by Jack Rose. And oh, the food. Ambrosia salad, short rib dough with eggs and grits, and fallen chocolate cake, complete with sparkling cocktail pairings. The food will be delicious, and the drag queens will be beautiful, so it's sure to sell out quickly. Reserve your spot today online at thepaulernola.com. To find out where Poppy's pop-up drag brunches will be held next, go to our calendar page at poppytooker.com, where you can also order your own copy of Drag Queen Brunch. And now, back to Louisiana Eats. Chris J. covers the food scene in the northern part of our delicious state. He blogs about food at 20by49.com, and he's also our Louisiana Eats roving reporter. Chris, great to see you again. It's great to be here, Poppy. Thanks for having me back. What are we eating today? You know, let's just assume it's Sunday morning, okay? okay? Let's get that out of the way first. It's Sunday morning in Shreveport. There is one place you have got to experience, and that is Maryland's Place. It's a walk-up, you know, a restaurant you can walk or bike to from several surrounding areas. And it used to be a gas station, but it's been converted into this really fun Cajun and Creole restaurant that's run by a chef named Boz Balcom. Boz cooked for 20 years aboard a Carnival Cruise Line ship, and he decided to move back to Shreveport, Bossier. He was, he was born there and learned to cook in New Orleans. And he cooked in New Orleans for about 10 years as well. But that Sunday brunch is absolutely insane. It's an unhinged kind of experience. If you're looking for a Sunday morning that's basically a continuation of Saturday night, mm-hmm. this is where to find it. Um, he calls it drink till you drown. But he's also <laughs> going to serve up some wonderful food while you're enjoying the $15 all-you-can-drink cocktails that begin at 10 a.m. Yeah, I'm Stephen Peterson. And... Uh, here at Maryland's Maryland's Eatery, um, one of Highland's prime cafes. It's probably uh, the top place people like to meet and socialize. Uh, there's a few places that need to pick up the slack in between the 2 to 8 p.m. hours uh, that could continue on. Our, we all dream of having a, a real Sunday fun day, uh, but Maryland's is definitely the kickoff point. Well, I've been here two years, and I found out about Maryland's within the first summer, and once I realized just how how affordable and nice the place was and that you could bike and walk no problem i mean this is a no-brainer for me so what are those cocktails he's serving probably bloody mary's mimosas screwdrivers yes it's all you can drink mimosas madras bloody mary's yeah, some beer involved in there. Great raft, you have to plug them. Uh, I'm Barry Butler, and I've been coming here for probably the past three, three and a half years. It, this is definitely the tribal the tribal hangout, or as we like to call it, church. <laughs> well, just being honest there. 
Um, it's also a really progressive and fun place. For example, when uh, marriage equality was, you know, passed on a federal level, uh, his was the one restaurant that said, come here, we're throwing a huge party. And there must have been 700 people. I, they were spilling out into the parking lot. It was, it was complete insanity. And he was handing out free drinks. He was in a great, great mood that day. And, and it was really nice to see a local restaurant say, let's celebrate this right now. Come to Maryland's place. We're going to party. Well... Tell me about the food that we're washing down with all these cocktails. It's sort of like a big southern comfort food twist on Cajun and Creole. So his crawfish etouffee, his jambalaya, these uh, biscuits and boudin specials that he runs, things like that may be sort of unrecognizable, for example, to people from southwestern Louisiana. They may kind of think, well, this is a little bit... A modified take on some of our classics. And he absolutely wears that on his sleeve. He wants it to be bigger, richer, comfort food versions of Cajun and Creole classics. Yum. Okay. Well, as usual, I'm hungry. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's make sure it's a Sunday when we go and we'll, we can hit that bar too. If three, four, five of us are gathered in the name of Maryland's, it's a good, good thing. <laughs> That's Chris J., our Louisiana Eats roving reporter. Food and worship go together like red beans and rice. Whether it's the repast after the loss of a loved one or selling fish plates on Fridays to raise money for the choir's new robes, Many church services include both food for the body and food for the soul. New Orleans, of course, has taken this to new heights with the Gospel Brunch. At this year's Essence Festival, I was fortunate to attend the Jane Club's Gospel Brunch featuring the Zion Harmonizers. While there, I took the opportunity to speak with Brizella Briscoe of the Harmonizers and Jess Sano, co-founder of the Jane Club. My name is Brazella Earl Briscoe Sr. I am the president and managing director of the Zion Harmonizers Gospel Singers in Louisiana. We've been together, the group itself, for 80 years. We were organized in 1939 by the late Bishop Benjamin Maxim. He was here four years and he went into the ministry. He turned it over to Mr. Sherman Washington who stayed for 70 years. He passed in 2011. I had to make a vow that I would keep this group going. And I told him if God would lead me and guide me, I would do just that, you know? And he has so thus far. <laughs> when the group first started, was your singing restricted mostly to church? Mostly and acapella. But we did do some other things. We, we do weddings, uh, events such as this, private engagement 50 years ago, whatever the date was, uh, Mr. Sherman Washington met Mr. Quint Davis and they started together the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival and we've been going every since. We've been all over pretty most places in the world. Uh, we've been to Europe about, the group has about 21 times. I've been over about 15 times. We've been to uh, Spain, we've been to Brazil, we've been to Holland. We've seen so many castles, we've seen in castles, and Lord has blessed us tremendously. What happens when people first hear the Zyman Harmonizers for the first time? Well, 
sometimes there's a language barrier, but the music seems to permeate and supersede everything. You know, when we sing in music, it's one people, one, you know, togetherness. And uh, so I'm enjoying it. I've been here, like I say, this is my 33rd year, and I, I wouldn't do anything else. I can't think of anything. You know, when I came into this group, I had my own business, and I used to lose money. And my wife said, how can you do this? And this is what I love. Thank God for a good wife who understands. You know, I say, I got to go. I got to go. And uh, so sometimes I wasn't able to make it, but most of the time I was. And we, we've done well. The Lord has tremendously blessed us. This gospel brunch phenomenon, when did you all start performing at gospel brunches? We started with the House of Blues, and we stayed there for 20 years. We were the house group. We, we sometimes, two or three times a month, we were there, you know. Of course, they would bring in other groups also, but we were a stapler. Unfortunately, our interview was cut short as Mr. Briscoe was called back to the stage. But the harmonizers are still a staple. They can be found every year in the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival's Gospel Tent. My name is Jess Zeno. I'm the co-founder of The Jane Club. After the 2016 elections, Jess Zeno felt a calling to make an impact on women's lives. She envisioned a workspace that was supportive, welcoming, and sympathetic. This twinkle of an idea grew into the Los Angeles-based Jane Club. An invitation from the Essence Festival led to a Jane Club pop-up right here in New Orleans. I spoke with Jess during their gospel brunch to learn what inspired her to create this village. I started my professional entertainment career when I was 17 years old and I got pregnant with my first and only child at 38 and I didn't know about motherhood so I just assumed I'd roll right back into work. I'm the breadwinner for my family so when I had the baby I had like X'd out the date. I would go back to work and it was two months after I gave birth. I had a C-section, my body was still healing and I wasn't able to understand and also adapt quickly to both being the professional and mother. And that's when I had an aha moment. The Jane Club is a shared workspace with on-site childcare, impactful events, community programming, and an entire village of services that are designed and built out for women and the working mother. And that's sort of the essence of who we are. But who we really are is a movement, a matriarchal oasis, a community of women who are rewriting the rules on women and work. We are here to create a new way of working for women so that we are supported as mothers and as professionals. So we are creating it day by day and nurturing all of the needs of the Janes and each other. Jess, why are you here in New Orleans? We were in Austin a few months ago at the South by Southwest Festival, also at the Jane Club in Texas, a weekend pop-up. And Khalees, who is one of our Janes, she had been on the cover of Essence magazine. So the Essence magazine women had come by 
And they said, oh, you need to do this at Essence Festival. And I said, you do not even need to ask me twice. I love the celebration of people and culture, specifically the celebration of women of color that happens at Essence Festival. It's their 25th anniversary, and I thought this is a fantastic opportunity for the Jane Club as a new business to really build out a safe space for women of color to celebrate themselves. We're here to represent these women who are creating culture, living their best lives. We are women together, and as such, the Jane Club New Orleans is here to serve women being women. We really made sure to work with all local artists and chefs to create the experience in terms of food. We've got our snowballs. We brought in cultural communities like the Ashe Cultural Center. We worked with the Museum of Free People of Color to build out the art story here. So we really infused the energy of New Orleans into the space but kept our California cool vibe as well. And I think we did a pretty good job. Saturday night, we had a welcome dinner with Mayor LaToya Cantrell and Miss Tina Knowles Lawson walked in the door. And when that happened, I thought, wow, we really did it. <laughs> that was Jess Zeno co-founder of the Jane Club. That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Catch up on previous editions and hear all about upcoming special events by visiting poppytooker.com. You can find videos, recipes, and even order cookbooks there. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Zatarans, and from Camellia Brand Beans. Additional support for Louisiana Eats is provided by the Shreveport Bossier Convention and Tourist Bureau and from the Bourbon House. From oysters to redfish, serving fresh Gulf seafood and American whiskey on Bourbon Street. Original theme music composed by David Pomerlo and performed by Johnny Sketch in the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner and special projects manager Reggie Morris. And to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mulladew. Come visit us anytime in our Louisiana Eats studios at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. We're on Instagram and Facebook too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting. <laughs>